Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Hello. 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, email opinion at 96fm.ie. And we love to get your voice notes on WhatsApp. We realise that people are busy these days and they've got a clatter of kids around them and all that. So if a voice note is better for you than a call, just do the voice note and pop it into us at 083 396 96 96. It also saves ages sitting there going <laughs> and also just get the voice note into us. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up later this morning, an Irish woman in Germany. They were headed into a savage lockdown to beat all savage lockdowns over Easter and then well Angela decided no actually that would be a mistake and I'm sorry Dennoch war die Idee der sogenannten Osterruhe ein Fehler Sie hatte ihre guten Gründe I think that's what she said anyway my German isn't the best but yeah we'll check up and see what it's like in Germany and maybe people will begin to realize you know as we head into Easter and we get whatever it is we're going to get, which according to the papers this morning, we're not going to get a lot. Maybe people will realise you know, we're not the only ones trying to get out of a lockdown. Because that's the one thing that does bother me a bit. A bit bothers me a lot actually. When I look at social media and I see all these clowns with their epidemiology degree from the University of Social Media thinking we're the only country in the world that's struggling to get out of our lockdown. Forget it lads. Forget it. Anyway, that's all to come uh, during the morning. Also, somebody wondering here whether we could organise to have Jedward having a bare-knuckle boxing... What? I better get to that. Let the coffee go down first. 1850-715-996. But I can remember... Something I remember from my days in news. It would have been around 2012. It would have been the middle of 2012, I think. Standing outside Blackpool Church... Uh, just there on the little plinth area around Blackpool Church and looking across at the floods on the other side of the street. And I remember a previous occasion where you actually couldn't stand on that little plinth at Blackpool Church because the water was just too deep. And I remember a photograph that, that one of my colleagues in the press showed me of an ATM where the water from the floods was lapping up around the quays on the ATM. Yeah, I know this is, and this isn't a hundred, this is like in the last 10 years. 
And from that day to this, and indeed for many days before that, there had been a campaign to get proper flood relief in place for Blackpool because Blackpool has just got notoriously bad flooding episodes over the years. And now the OPW has begun or is is about to proceed with a Blackpool flood relief scheme which should bring an end to all of these problems. And it's been awaiting for years. They've been trying to draw it up and trying to agree it and trying to get it funded and everything for years. So the Blackpool flood relief scheme now funded, ready to go and has the green light. And now tomorrow there is the first uh, Zoom meeting to try to have it judicially reviewed. Chris Moody, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? I'm very good. I remember good. actually, I remember you referring to that, uh, that picture of the uh, ATM yeah. in our last conversation a few years Well, I, I can't remember how long ago it was now, but yeah. I remember that, all right? Yeah. You are one of the people trying to campaign for a judicial review of this flooding plan. Why? Well, I think it's a terrible plan. You know, it's, um, it's highly destructive. It doesn't leave Blackpool a village with a river, and Blackpool sprung up on the banks of a river. Uh, I think it's a very big price to pay. Uh, it's 350 metres of culverting, uh, and that effectively sterilises that stretch of river. Um, I think it's a, a too big a price to pay. It's highly destructive. And not only that, there's going to be, uh, there's works further upstream. There's walls proposed, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Fitz's Barinda, Mm-hmm. The little stone, the twin arch bridge, um, that's going to be bulldozed and it's going to be replaced with a, a wider span bridge. It's a highly destructive scheme and uh, I think that we can get better, you know, and we should push for better, you know. And uh, I've, I've been at this, I've been fighting this myself for the last five years. I have a Twitter campaign and now we have a little uh, group assembled and uh, our aim is to get the best solution for Blackpool, you know, not necessarily the quickest or you know, the most um, popular, but the best solution. Where where do otters come into this, by the way? Well, otters have been in Blackpool for years and years and years. And uh, there was actually a survey done, okay? Well, first of all, let me... When the uh, Blackpool bypass was built, okay, there are two culverts running under the Blackpool bypass. Mm -hmm. One at the Brothers Delaney... uh, Sorry, Brothers Delaney Road, which uh, runs between the shopping centre and the retail park. And there is another one under the N20. And in those... uh, uh, culverts are mammal edges, okay? And they were put in the late 1990s. And those mammal edges were put there for a reason. They were put there because otters move through uh, the River Bright. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a survey conducted in 2011 and 2012 by the Irish Wildlife Trust and volunteers, citizen science volunteers, and they identified in Cork City 12, uh, sorry, 11 uh, individual otters using a uh, um, surveying of sprints, which is effectively otter poo and DNA testing that, and they identified 11 individual artists, and eight of those artists were active along the bride in Blackpool. So it's not a new thing, um, and uh, I can tell you they're still moving through there because I've been surveying the river for um, a few years along with Cork Nature Network yeah. and, on my, and on my, uh, my, off my own bash, and uh, I've actually seen one from my back garden. Oh, the they're beautiful creatures, and you'd yeah. see them yourself if you hang around long enough. How many yeah. of them were you talking about, Chris? Well, in the, well, this was back in 2011, 2012. So there was 11 identified in the city, 11 individuals. Mm. And of, of those 11, there were eight in Blackpool, using okay. the bride in Blackpool, now, moving through Blackpool. What we're 
So in other words, what what are we looking to do here? We're, are, are we looking to balance the good of business and the safety of homes against the comfort of eight otters? No, we're not trying to do that at all, okay? Because uh, it's not just about uh, wildlife. It's about the um, what it means to people as well. I mean, you'll often hear this argument, people come first, okay? But we're people too. I mean, people who live up here are people too. And uh, we love this. We love this little river. We love it. Mm. And um, Sorry, where do you live, Chris? I live on the Commons Road. So okay. the river flows behind my house. And when were you last flooded? I was never flooded. But does that mean I can't have an opinion on this? Oh, of course it does, but it, 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 kind of, I, it kind of turns you, doesn't it? it? It kind of, it allows you the luxury to comment on it when you've never had it lapping around your kitchen. Absolutely, PJ, and I have every sympathy for somebody who's been affected by flooding. I, I, I don't dismiss that at all, and I've spent a lot of time looking into the causes of flooding in Blackpool so I can appreciate what has happened to the people in Blackpool. Mm. But what my ultimate aim or the ultimate goal of this group is to get the best solution, okay, that leaves us with something in Blackpool as well. Because I know, and I've said this to you before in other conversations, that uh, we'll regret this, you know, we'll regret this doing this covering over this little river. And the important thing to to say is, well, this actually goes against um, Cork City Council's uh, development plan. Uh, If we look at Objective 10.9, River and Waterway Corridors, to protect and maintain the integrity and maximize the potential of the natural heritage and biodiversity value of the River Lee and its associated watercourses, of which the bride is one. Okay, and uh, of that, the, the development proposals in river corridors, one of those, number D, uh, sorry, D, shall not involve landfilling, diverting, culverting, or realignment of river and stream corridors. Mm-hmm. So that's from the Cork City Council Development Plan 2015 to 2021. Now, and is that why what, you want to go to the High Court? You want to try and seek a judicial review because you believe that in, in, in okaying this, it's, gonna get, it's, gonna, it's, it's legally flawed? Well, it could be legally flawed for a number of reasons. We still have to look into that. Um, we're going to, the reason why we're going to the High Court is we want a better solution. You know, we want a solution that leaves us with a river. And I believe there's a better solution. I believe that there's, we can, I mean, certainly other solutions were examined uh, in the options report. And uh, one of the, the, the most affordable, cheapest solutions was, in fact, the cheapest solution was upstream storage. So slowing the flow before it gets into Blackpool is an option. And it's an option that we should look at and take seriously. Uh, because it's no good uh, going on about uh, the biodiversity crisis and opening bee hotels uh, and pollinator gardens. It, it, it's, it's in situations like this where you have massive destruction of uh, habitat and wildlife that it matters, you know? Yeah. I would suggest, though, that the people who have been slapping out their homes and their businesses for goodness knows how long... Will will think I just need this to stop and stop quickly. So they'll be thinking, "Hang on a minute." Just as we get something approved, we're now back to the drawing board potentially. Winter is here, or win- winter will come back. The water will come back. The floods will come back, and we're still going to be messing around with an idea. PJ, it's no coincidence that Blackpool was flooded three times in the space of just four years. As the same as it's no coincidence it hasn't flooded in seven. Okay, the flooding in Blackpool, the, the cause, the, the, the 
um, obvious cause of flooding in Blackpool was the trash screens. Those have been removed. They were removed in 2014. Yeah. But they so were an awful thing. I remember. I, I, I'll agree with you all day on that. I remember where they were, and one of them was just a complete disaster because it used to just block up and out came the water. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. Now, those trash screens, I, I have checked those trash I've checked with the Office of Public Works whether those trash screens uh, required Section 50 consent under the Arterial Drainage Act, okay? Section 50 consent is basically uh, a, a, a series of checks to make sure that structures are not uh, flooded, do not cause, are not likely to cause flooding, okay? I have submitted a list of a number of structures that were in that river to the Office of Public Works. I was told that those structures did require Section 50, but they cannot find them for those structures. Mm. So those trash screens, I don't even know whether they're supposed to be there. Now, we know they didn't work very well because they get blocked. And it's the blockage, okay, because I have pictures of all of they these actually, things. They actually, to be fair to you, and again, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on this, those trash screens cause more problems than they solve any day of the week. They absolutely did. And the blockage, the, the blockage was largely from vegetation washed downstream. Yeah. Okay, yeah. a lot of people think it's rubbish. There's always... The story on this has always been blocks, culverts, and, and uh, rubbish, and, and that's not the cause. Now, I know the trash screens are there in a, in a bid to filter out rubbish, but the real problem... They end up getting blocked. Anyway, we could, we, could, we could talk about the issues all day, but you're starting your campaign with a Zoom meeting on Friday evening. How do exactly. people get involved in that? Well, we have a link up on our page, Save Our Bright Authors, on Twitter, uh, if you look on there, you'll see a link at the top for the Zoom meeting. And if you click on that, you'll be able to uh, join the meeting at 8 p.m. Okay. All right. Listen, Chris, I wanted to let, get your side of the story because I'm going to get the other side now. But 8 o'clock uh, is their Zoom meeting tomorrow night. Save Our Bride Otters is the Facebook page. As Chris said, look, it's about more than the otters. It's about habitat in general. Uh, their submission talks about other animals like and fish, of course, and ducks and herons and a whole ecosystem around the River Bride there, which let's be absolutely blunt and honest here. It's a beautiful, beautiful little river flowing along, full of wildlife, otters, fish, birds. It's lovely. It really is lovely. But when it comes up into the street and into the shops and into the kitchens, then it ain't so lovely. I want to talk to someone who's been affected by that many times, Next, 1850-715-996. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Who could have imagined, despite theatres and cinemas being closed, the Arts House would be as busy as ever? Maybe we can't send you for nights out, but each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, or great ideas for sitting at home and exploring galleries in the virtual world, join Elmarie Maul and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes. Griffin's new chipping potatoes are specially grown to make the perfect homemade chip. Fluffy inside and crunchy outside. Now in store. Quartz 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold. Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, Chris Moody has been making his case on the opinion line as to why this flood plan, flood relief plan for Blackpool, is the wrong flood relief plan for Blackpool because it will destroy a habitat, it will endanger 
uh, wildlife, it will effectively do away with a beautiful feature of the ecosystem, which is the river and its otters. Before I went to Chris, I mentioned standing on that little plinth there outside Blackpool Church, watching council workers and fire brigade uh, work personnel freeing up the drains or trying to free up the drains to try to get several feet of water off the main street of Blackpool. And I, I remember the photograph that a colleague showed me of how high the water had been lapping around the buttons on an ATM. That ATM was right there in the heart of Blackpool, outside the centre. Uh, Ger Buckley, uh, your centre. Good morning. Hello, PJ. How are you? Good. It's been a while, Ger. I remember that day, and I'm very sure you do too. Would you believe it, PJ? 4,015 days ago. Okay. That's, I was just doing them back on it. That's how long we're waiting for this scheme. Um, I think what's going on is uh, very, very sad. Uh, we were all delighted with Michael McGrath's, uh, Minister Michael McGrath's announcement that the Blackpool scheme was going ahead. Um, locally, uh, we had a Blackpool Flood Committee, or have one, uh, with residents and business people on it, everybody in support of the scheme. Uh, OPW came to Blackpool a number of years ago, and I was on your radio show asking people, please come to the consultation, uh, participate in the public consultation, make your views known, right, and you, they will, everything will be accommodated. There are people now objecting to this scheme who never went to the public consultation. We had over 300 people inside in Blackpool Community Centre and, and OPW spending a, a, a two days there and another day in the library for that public consultation. Mm. And, you know, and in fairness, about, it has to be said, Jared, the reason they spent so long there was because it was so complex doing it uh, right, but also how bad it had been for you and your business. Bring me well, back to that day, though. Well, going back there, PJ, the last time we were flooded, OK, it was a flash flood, OK? We didn't have enough warning, OK, because you can't in the when, when it flash floods there. I was put, it was the summer, OK? It's in June. Yeah. June, OK? And I was up to, within 15 minutes, I was up to my waist in water, putting up the flood barriers at the front of my shop. My wife and my two children were inside in the shop trying to lift stock. They got trapped inside. I had to be hauled out by the, by the, by the fire brigade with a rope, right? And then we had to put a harness on me and a harness on, on, on two fire brigade men. And they, we had to wade in around to get down the side of the shop, the back of the shop, and the, and Alice and and Dylan and Mary Lou had to be had to, had to be rescued by going across the roofs of buildings. Is that the right way for people to live? there? what time of night was that? Remind me again, Jer. Uh, you'd be talking about uh, it was early, or very early in the morning. About, Could be about you know, yeah, it, it was it was very early in the morning. You know, dear. But, but 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 PJ, it's not just that. There's a lot of homeowners, elderly people. They don't have flood insurance anymore. You know, mm. I, like there's one family there. I know them very well. Uh, they they actually had to move out uh, from their home, and they spent a couple of months living in the Commons Inn. They lost all their photographs. They lost all their personal belongings. Right, and they're absolutely thrilled. You know that this scheme is coming on board yeah. uh, because their home is going to be protected. Now, talking about the river, right? The river isn't going out of Blackpool. That is not true. Okay. It, there's already a culvert um, running a mile long from Cork City to Blackpool. 
And that's been extended by 350 metres, PJ. 350 metres. On a river course that's over 100 miles long. Now, this, this, this group that yeah. want a, a judicial review, they don't talk about all the positive things. For example, there's gravel beds being put in for fish upstream. There's otter holes being put in for the otters. There's uh, uh, back boxes being put in. Uh, there's an ecologist being employed by the OPW for two years yeah. to, uh, to oversee all the mitigation measures to make sure that wildlife is, is protected and wildlife is looked after. Well, he's talking about, they're talking about the river being covered over and, and the beautiful feature of the ecosystem being done away with. But come, come back to that. And that was an awful scare. And I remember it at the time. And you weren't the only one who had to be helped out of your house by the fire brigade. And I remember the incredible cost of trying to put not just your business, but other businesses back together again. And I, I spoke to, to business people down there who wept openly. Uh, as as we spoke about, about what they'd been through and the fear of being through it again. And, okay, it hasn't happened since, but the way the river is, it could happen again tomorrow if you got the wrong kind of conditions. People are living in fear of it happening again. Absolutely. Every time the weather goes but, a certain but, but, way. But not, but not only that, uh, PJ, you know, you get a, you know, when you get heavy rain, and only only two weeks ago, right, there was extremely heavy rain. Uh, um, which affected the, the, the Bride and Blackpool. We came within about six inches of the river uh, breaching and the river flowing back into the village again, right? That night, we were, myself and Alice were up all night, right? And you, you're trying to go to, to go to sleep for a couple of hours and you'd get a poke and we would be okay. That's no way to live your life. And look, it's not just me. There's loads of other people in Blackpool as well. And there's a lot of elderly people in Blackpool. And there's, we no longer ha, you know, have insurance whereby we have uh, the ability or the resilience to make another comeback. You know, we made a comeback in, in 2010. We made a comeback in 2012. We made a comeback in 2013. You know, how long more does this have to go on for? We're 11 years waiting for the scheme. It's a great scheme, right? Uh, there are mitigation measures. And you never hear these people who, who don't suffer flooding Right, and this group that wants to form now to challenge this in the High Court, like, do they have to live with the consequences of flooding? They don't. And are they exaggerating the effect that it's going to have on wildlife? Absolutely. Because well, in, in their view, in, in, in their view, their views that they hold, they would they would argue that that they those are well held views based on their own observation. So, I, I suppose, PJ, you know, I can understand people being passionate about wildlife, right? But I would also expect some compassion for human beings and some compassion for your neighbours who have suffered down through the years and pure misery and pure hell. And this scheme was hard fought for, right? It's, it, you know, the government, you know, doesn't spend 20 million for the sake of it. It's badly needed. It could put Blackpool, it, you know, it, it, will, it, it will improve the public realm you know, it'll, it'll, the, 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 the plaza bill will be redeveloped. You know, um, Orchard Court, which is, you know, suffers from an awful lot of um, uh, um, uh, illegal dumping and so on. Yeah. That whole thing will be addressed as well. There's a lot of positive things here. They suggest, though, Chris suggests another option, that there are other ways of, of doing this, that there are other ways of mitigating the rise of the river without doing away with habitats and ecosystems. But PJ, do you not think that the OPW have looked at all that? If someone reads 
environmental in, impact study of, 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 of 2018, right? There's over 200 pages there. And they looked at storage further upstream. And they looked at, at, at where, you know, at, at all possibilities. And they've come up with the best, what they believe is the best option. And they're putting in mitigation measures to make sure that the wildlife is looked after. Okay. You know, we have, we, you know, we have, a, we have a huge wildlife reserve. So what you're, what you're saying effectively, Jerry, is all this is done and that the people need and the businesses and the homes need the mitigation against flooding and that it's all been done with regard to the wildlife. I'm going to leave it there because I've taken both sides now. I'm going to see what listeners think. Jerry Buckley uh, from Blackpool, thank you very much. And before him, Chris Moody from Save Our Bride Otters. Um, I'd like to hear from people on on any side of that, and and maybe I don't know. Someone seemed to suggest it was an unfair question of me to ask Chris had he ever been flooded and ever had it inside in his kitchen, which he quite honestly said he hadn't. And he then um, had the follow on question: Well, does that not mean I'm not entitled to an opinion on it? Of course he is. Of course he is. Tom says the two large weather drains in Blackpool covered with dirt and leaves, and here they are talking about floods. They've been told about this numerous times. Gerald Griffin Street and Peacock Lane. Kate says they do that in Holland. They leave a way for nature to deal with the flooding, and then they have natural barriers for the remaining water. It's super, it looks brilliant, and it works brilliantly. I agree with Chris. Why do we continue to destroy habitat? Why can't we take examples of countries where things work, like the Netherlands? A lot of land under sea level. No walls to keep the water out of cities. Yeah, but there are whole parts of the Netherlands that rely on huge seawalls to keep the sea out. So so that happens there too, but it does. They have mar- marvellous ways to mitigate it. Because imagine living in a country that's effectively below sea level. But I'd love to know what you think about that. Particularly if you're a resident of Blackpool or have a business in Blackpool and have been flooded like Jer has two or three or four times and you're afraid of your living life that you'll be left in your kitchen or your business or your office again the next time the water rises. How do you feel about all of this? 1850-715-996. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 96th... This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, just in case you think that we're the only country in the world struggling to get ourselves out of lockdown, you couldn't be more wrong. And in Germany, they're in real trouble at the moment because just like has happened here, the British variant of COVID has run rampant over there. They were back into regional lockdowns and all of this. And then Angela Merkel stood up the other day and announced that there would be a lockdown to bait all lockdowns, as it were, the mother of all lockdowns over Easter. Like this was the mother of all lockdowns that would even shut grocery stores. Literally the only thing that would be uh, open, except for one day of the Holy Easter weekend, 
would have been pharmacies. A really, really heavy, juicy lockdown. And then this happened. Dennoch war die Idee der sogenannten Osterruhe ein Fehler. Sie hatte ihre guten Gründe, war aber in der Kürze der Zeit nicht gut genug umsetzbar. Dieser Fehler ist einzig und allein mein Fehler. Now my German isn't great, but Audrey Leaves from Crosshaven is in Hamburg for many, many years. What was she saying there, Audrey? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And um, basically, so she was saying after this was announced and everybody absolutely lost the run of themselves because it was just completely and utterly a stupid, irrational decision. And that was announced on Monday. And then I uh, what they reached today, Thursday. Yesterday, she came out again and she apologized. And she's taken the blame for it herself. It was her decision initially. And she's so now the initial decision was close everything Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, including okay. supermarkets. Yeah. And normally at Easter weekend, Sunday anyway here, everything is closed. We don't have anything open, even supermarkets. So normally Easter weekend, everything is closed, including supermarkets Friday, Sunday and Monday. So now she's saying, okay, now I'll take it back. Now we'll go back to what Easter weekend normally is. So that is everything is closed, including supermarkets Friday and Sunday as normally and Monday. So we will have supermarkets open on Saturday. Right. Why was there such uproar? I, well, I think, I mean, five days. That's a long time, you know? That's a long time not to be able to go to, I mean, essential shops are, um, are rather non-essential shops aren't open anyway here. Mm. Uh, they, were, they were open for five days. Um, the second week of March, and that's in that week, our numbers just went through the roof. Mm. Monday before Patrick's Day, we were eighty per eighty incidents per hundred thousand. Yesterday, we were at just over one hundred and twenty. Right. So that's been quite a big, quite a that's big. It's a fifty percent increase. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, the sh- I can't understand really because the shops were you had to make an appointment to go into a shop even if you wanted to buy a pair of socks. You had to go online, choose a time, and when you went in there, you only had a 30-minute window. Crazy. So that went, so that was from a Monday to a Friday, and they closed everything, all the shops again on Monday. And wow. now here we are, Thursday. Of yeah. course, you, you so have a pub in Hamburg. You've been closed yeah. since when? I've been closed since November the 2nd. Right, and no prospect of that getting open anytime we, soon. We, they dangled the carrot, uh, at us for the end of March. They said they would make a decision for inside seating because where the pub is, it's underground in a cellar. And so I have no, like, I have no windows. We're in a cellar, essentially. So we have no outside seating. But we have a, we had a, a opportunity to apply for three park, car parking spaces on the street. And we applied and we got the license. And then just as we got the license, she said, no, now no outside seating allowed and no inside seating allowed. Until April 18th, I think, is the next decision. We're locked down, this lockdown business again until April 18th. And now you have a curfew as well, Audrey, yeah? Uh, no. Some parts of Germany do have a curfew, but here, up here in the north, we don't, as of yet. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think some of the folks here at home think we're the only per- people in the world struggling to get out of a lockdown. And I've been saying on this programme for a long time, Lads, 
you know what? We don't know what a proper lockdown is. Like, you were telling me when we spoke Christmas Eve on the programme, you couldn't get home when you were talking to me on the Christmas Eve show. Like, you'd yes. be stopped in the street and fined on the spot if you're not wearing a mask. Is that still going on? Yes, that's still going on. Yeah. Mask wearing is compulsory now in the city centre and all public transport. And we are not allowed to wear cloth masks anymore. We have to wear these FFP2 white surgical masks. Right. And the blue surgical masks that you see when you go to the dentist. Or so they now even the tell you what kind of masks you, you can wear. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like you, the ones you could knock up with a sewing machine at home, they're not allowed anymore. Right. And that's been like that since the 25th of January. Crikey. And, and how is the vaccination programme going, Audrey? Um, slow. Germany is very slow. Um, Germany so far, two million, Germany has a population of 80 million people. Two million of those have got their double vaccination so far. And uh, six, we need to vaccinate 60 million. Yeah. Oh, so, and it's behind Austria, it's behind Switzerland, it's behind France, Portugal, Germany's bottom of that list. Yeah. I suppose travel is is out of the, are you able to move around like you know yourself we got the 5k at the moment um yeah, there's no limita- yeah there's no limitation on how far you can go but it's not encouraged so yeah. easter is, is a huge celebration here at, um, in germany and so you'd have a lot of people going to the seaside um because hamburgers on the coast here you have a lot of people going to the seaside and um going to day trips and stuff like that so that's all not being encouraged, but of course people are going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. They're not policing the beaches, like are they? Because I know they did that in Spain um, for a while. They're not policing the beaches, but I think because we're in the situation that we're in at the moment, I think they probably will be. You will see a lot more police out Easter weekend. Yeah. What's what's Easter? The... Easter. Go ahead. Easter fires are also a big thing here. You know, um, I live where I live. I have five neighbours in my row and we all come together at Easter. I'll, we have like a communal barbecue area yeah. and we all come together and we have a few drinks together and we have a bonfire and talk, the kids toast marshmallows and stuff like that. And that's not allowed now. We can't do that this year. Can't do that. I have a new next door neighbour that I have met probably. They moved in last March. I think I've met them six times maximum. And that's just hello. Yeah. What's the public mood like, Audrey? Oh, they're just completely, everyone's browned off. I mean, we're in this, you know, everyone is in this a year now. And just people are just sick and tired of it. House parties, private private gatherings are our big problem here. Yeah. Yeah, people, people are, are lashing out like they are here at home, I guess. They're lashing out now. Yeah, and it's completely understandable. I mean, this, I don't know, are lockdowns working? Are severe lockdowns working? I don't know. Mm. Um, but Germany is, I think, I, watch, I don't often watch the news because it's just too depressing. But I think I watched a graph yesterday on TV and 45.8% of the incidents are coming from private gatherings. Yeah, we're similar numbers here. You must be so lonely for Crosser, Audrey. I am. <laughs> I am. Yes, it'll be, it's coming up to two years now since I've been home. Yeah. yeah. A year of it, thanks to COVID. Yeah. Just one last thing about the Germans before I let you go. Um, like we, we kind of, by reputation, think that the Germans are are very like a, 
compliant people that you just have to tell them what to do. Would we be wrong about that? Mm, not really, no. The Germans will do what they want to do. Yeah. 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 They don't like being told what to do. Yeah. As in my experience. Yeah. And are yeah. they afraid of COVID in general? Yes. Yes, they are. I mean, I mean, you know, this has affected so many people, so many lives. I mean, the businesses that I see are closed in the city. You know, where my pub is, it's just, it's just terrible. It's, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. You know, and they, they, the government is saying that they have enough money for two years to give to the businesses if this goes on. Yeah. Are you getting support, brother? Are you getting support? We are getting support, we are, but it's very slow. We've got support from November, December, and we still have to receive January, February support okay. and March. And we're now coming to the end of March right. because I have all of my um, employees on a thing called Quartzabite uh, where they get paid 80% of their wages, but okay. I have to pay them first before I claim it back from the state. Okay. And also there, there's a lot of uh, cowboys um, uh, making a mess of that as well, mm. claiming that they have employees and they want this back and when they're not and yeah that's a whole other mess Oh God Okay listen Audrey look after yourself and stay safe out there and a private in joke between us I was delighted that Kit became the boss <laughs> uh, TJ really quick before I go can yeah. I just say a happy birthday to my mother and my sister for next week Of course you can well done thanks Audrey Audrey leaves uh, in Hamburg in Germany from Crosshaven that's uh, Kit became the boss if you watch The Resident I won't do any spoilers, but if you watch The Resident, you'll know what I mean. It's a great medical show. And Audrey's sister-in-law is in it. So, that's the spoiler. 1850-715-996. Have we a call on Blackpool? We have. We have. Keith, good morning. Good morning. Hi, you were listening to our discussion. Chris on one side, Ger on the other. What do you think? I'll be honest with you, PJ. Look, it's 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 a funny one, uh, especially speaking from a resident point of view. Coming on, coming from the Commons Road, I live uh, on the Commons Road, and I was directly affected by the flooding, um, the big flood, the first of 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 many. Um, it's you know, it's 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 very hard to see that you know, we living in fear. My parents, who are elderly, also are worried about, um, you know, when the next flood is. And recently, the corporation were given out sandbags and these um, pellet bags there only last week for that heavy deluge that we had around the city. And I mean, that brings everything to the forefront again as towards, you know, how devastating this flood was and had uh, it can be again. Yeah. You know, so it's very hard to say, you know, Asha, look, we'll see what happens with this um, ratification of of the scheme going forward and yeah. we'll protect the wildlife. How would you feel about the objections, the wild, the objections on the grounds of the, the ecosystem and the habitat? How would you feel about that? I feel I feel very bad, you know, to see any wildlife uh, disrupted and stuff, PJ. But at the same time, I grew up um, from maybe about 12, 11 years of age out that side of the city when I moved out there. I played in the stream, swam in it, had happy picnics on the banks of the, 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 the stream, saw many floods prior to this flood. Um, 
and also, you know, I saw wildlife along the banks and stuff, but never seen an otter that far back where I am, yeah. uh, further up the street, uh, out the river. But at the same time, PJ, you know, there has to be progression, and it's going on a long time now. And, you know, in fairness to uh, Michael McGrath and um, uh, Colin Burke there, Blackpool, you know, trying to push this on 11 years down the road. You know, it's it's a kind of a sore pill to swallow at the moment for the residents. And certainly uh, going forward with insurance, um, trying to get insurance for your property, you know, it was a nightmare. We were yeah. ringing around for over two years and we we actually went to the Doyle. There was busloads of us went up to the Doyle firstly to try to, to try push this on, spur it on. And people from Kerry, Waterford, Clamell, anyone that was affected by the flooding and and. It, Quite frankly, that river is a big river. But at the same time, PJ, you know, we we were trying to push us over the line back then, and we're still trying to push it over the line. And yeah. now you have someone that's, you know, setting up a blockage, so to speak, pardon the pun, for this uh, scheme to go forward. And it's 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 hard it's hard to digest, you know. All right, Keith. Thank you very much for that, Keith, a resident of the area. Now I spoke about people almost weeping openly when I was interviewing them uh, a few years back. One of them was uh, the people down at O'Shea's Pharmacy, which is right next door or just a door or two up from the centre where Ger was and still is. And and I, I mentioned that the people in O'Shea's Pharmacy would be just as nervous about another flood coming. Tyg, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I remember the emotions and people going around sweeping out the slops and trying to save stock and trying to think, what the hell are we going to do about this? And that fear is one that stays with you. Yeah, one of the worst incidents, PJ, was 2002 when we were flooded. Maybe it was a Wednesday in November and we just got the place cleaned out. We got our computer equipment back in. We got our stock back and we were flooded again a week later. And that was very hard to take. And there were, T.G. Cahar did... um, did some great camera work around the village at the time and we have the footage here and there's some harrowing scenes there from Great William O'Brien Street with the residents just near the church there where they're being flooded for the second time in a couple of days and everybody was kind of in despair at that stage to be hit again so quickly. Yes, yes. Um, We were, and in the pharmacy, like we have all the local residents coming into us for years uh, work, I'm working here since 1998 and we're to a, a sense a shoulder to cry on here you know and very much the residents are at their wits end with this now like what happens at the moment is any threat of rain at all and they have to put up their flood barriers and then they're pinned in their houses for the night and a lot of the flood barriers are actually cast iron so they can't manage them themselves through families coming in from Blarney and coming in from other parts of the city putting up the flood barriers for them and taking them back down the following day. Yeah. And it's no way for the residents or businesses to carry on. Yeah. So when you see this scheme being approved after so many years of trying, great reassurance in it. Great reassurance. We're delighted. We've worked very hard talking to politicians, showing them photos of the devastation inside in the shop. And it's galling then for this, kind of group to start talking about blocking this. It's so important for the residents. Mm. Um, 
especially if you dig into the report, OPW have bent over backwards to redesign the scheme with otter runways, there are otter skylights, all sorts of, there's an ecologist going to be, full-time ecologist, who's happy with the scheme. Um, you know, and if he, if OPW have really gone a long way, they're rewilding certain sections upstream of other culverts, um, and it's 350 metres, as Jor Buckley there that was on earlier, he pointed out earlier, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were actually lucky in 2013 that nobody was drowned because the water rose so quickly at night. I remember it. Um, I remember yeah. it very well. Yeah. Uh, hours I, it took. In I, fact, it took less than an hour to be completely inaccessible. Yeah. I was living in Montanotti at the time and the alarm the shop went off and it had the flood sensor on it. And by the time I came down from Montanotti, the water was above my waist. Wow. So we were lucky that none of the residents living on the ground floor around the church or around the village here drowned during that night flooding. Yeah. That's the holy all of it really, isn't it? You know, that is the holy all of it. Businesses are very important, but lives and and well-being. Yeah. 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 And like some business, there was a little business there to the right-hand side of us and that never came back after the 2002 flood. They just couldn't make it back. Yeah. Yeah, and to this day, I suppose there's no insurance in the, the pharmacy for flooding, is there? No, no, no there isn't. There no. isn't, unfortunately. No. Like, so if we're we're hit again, we'd struggle back. We'd really struggle to come back. You know. All right. Okay. Leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Tig from O'Shea's Pharmacy. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Courts ninety six FM. Big, big interest in the Blackpool Flood Relief Scheme controversy where a group now wants to have the plan judicially reviewed. We spoke to Chris Moody from that group just after uh, nine o'clock and getting some local reaction from residents and from business people in Blackpool. And to be fair, there's support for both sides here. Now, there's more support, it has to be said, for the residents and the businesses as I'm seeing it on my screen but if it's one that we can come back to during the morning, we will. 1850 715 996, the number to call, the text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 the email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in that first hour, of course, you'll get it on our podcast, which is available in the afternoon. And if it's like something like the flood relief scheme or anything else, and you don't have the time, to make or take a phone call and you'd rather not sit there boop, 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 boop with a long text message why not pop us a voice note on WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96 this programme is all about voices and it shouldn't just be mine so I'd love to get your voice rather than have me read a big long comment pop it into me in a voice note at 083 396 96 96 now yesterday uh, was it Tuesday? it was Tuesday we were talking about the Kinsale Road Accommodation Centre where a number of residents have tested positive for COVID-19 and it's not the first time that that has happened and there's more testing going on uh, at the centre of all the other residents about 20 cases I think we were talking about when we were speaking with activist Rose Damal uh, the other day now our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran has been speaking with some of the residents from the accommodation centre. Fiona, good morning to you. 
Good morning, PJ. Bring us up to speed. About 20 cases, but everybody else has to be tested, obviously. That's right. Those 20 cases were detected over the past two weeks and a letter was sent out to residents of the centre to say that further testing would be carried out today. Now, as you said, I spoke to some people um, who are residents of the accommodation centre and one of those included a man who spoke to me yesterday by phone from a hotel in Dublin where himself, his wife and their child are currently in isolation because they tested positive for COVID-19 and they've been in this hotel room now for 10 days and will be there up until the end of the month and um, he spoke to me about you know what it's been like in in quarantine and about his fears of going back to the accommodation centre at the Kinsale Road roundabout and I think you have a clip there of him saying outlining those concerns. Uh, Certainly the uh, the first one is about about moving out to the hotel yeah here we go. We moved to a quarantine hotel in Dublin it's called City West yeah, and we've been moved here uh, it's about 10 days now. Okay. So you yeah. and your family tested positive for COVID-19? Yeah, me and my wife and my little one, she was tested negative. Okay. But uh, because she is close contact with us, so she had to do the quarantine as well. And how are you feeling? She, uh, well, uh, at the moment we are okay. We are getting better. We have, we have some cough, but... Uh, uh, rest of other symptoms kind of uh, vanished. And you uh, will be returning then to Cork in the next what? In the next week? The next four days? Uh, well, another seven days. Uh, but they said uh, after thirty first of this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and what's sorry. it been like in quarantine in that hotel? Well, uh, the quarantine is okay, but uh, as you know, like uh, I have a little one, and she's stuck at home, like in the room for like it's been ten days or so now, and uh, it's okay. Uh, but uh, uh, like as you see, like quarantine uh, is not easy for like family when it's a room and you just stay in the room for days, you know. And how do you feel about returning then to the Kinsale Road Direct Provision Centre? Well, uh, at the moment I'm very scared and I'm very concerned for my daughter because she was tested negative. And I I think like uh, because of that, uh, uh, it's not uh, going to be safe for us to go back there and uh, put us in the same situation where we get tested positive, you know, and uh, as we heard from our friends from Kinsale Road Accommodation recently, they said the situation is uh, very worse there because there are more people being tested positive every time they do tests. Uh, they've done tests already there in, uh, like, uh, since we moved, there has been two tests already and another one's going to be held on Thursday. Which is the point to which we come this morning, Fiona. He he was talking, I think, in particular about the difficulty with distancing and stuff like that. Yeah, he said to me that in the accommodation centre, what they have are blocks and in there's certain blocks for families and certain blocks for single people. And um, each family or each 
person um, would have their own room. But in those rooms, it's pretty basic. It's basically just a bed and they have no facilities in those rooms for self-catering, for cooking, for, for showering. So there's a communal area that they all use and each block would have um, its own kind of what they call a tea room. And at a certain time of the day, they go down there and they collect their meals and they can bring them back to their room or they can eat them in the hotel. And there's an area then where they will all go to wash their dishes. There's a, a microwave that they all use. There's um, you know, a shower that they all use. So he said that it's extremely difficult to maintain social distancing. And he said that he has a respiratory condition so himself and his wife have been um, isolating in their room for the past seven months, but they've obviously had to go out at these certain points of the day mm. and they still managed to pick it up somehow. So he said that, you know, it is there, there's a, a ripple of concern around the entire centre now about the effect that this is going to have on them. And, you know, how are they going to be able to um, protect themselves and their families under these conditions? And I asked him what his message would be to the government at this stage. Okay. At least for the, the families who are living with their children, they should be given self-catering uh, like uh, facilities at the moment at least because uh, for children it's, it's, it's very hard for them to stay in the room, you know, for days. Mm. And uh, as you know, like uh, the schools are closed as well and when someone gets infected, like us, uh, I cannot send my children back there concerning others, you know. Yeah. So at least uh, the government, if they can move us to a self-catering uh, facility, we can at least uh, like keep our children and ourselves safe and keep others safe as well. Yeah. It's kind of impossible to, to isolate in any way when you've got to use communal areas like that. Well, that's it. And, you know, there's no, I asked him as well if those areas are sanitised every night or if there is a confirmed outbreak, are they sanitised and will his room be sanitised when he's away? But he said that um, they're never really informed about that, so they don't know. Um, and I spoke to another man as well who, again, he's a father, he has three children and they've been in their room. And he spoke to me as well about, um, you know, OK, the, the adults in the centre are obviously very concerned and they're finding it very difficult to maintain social distancing but he said that for the children they don't have really an area where they can all go out and play yeah. safely um, so they're, they've been stuck in these rooms as well for the past couple of months yeah. Yeah, and, and he said pe that people were saying for months that direct provision would be uh, a really like a petri dish for mm. the virus and here we have it here we have it. This is it. And like that man, the second man that I spoke to told me about his four-year-old son the other night couldn't get to sleep. And he said to him, um, you know, what, what's wrong? And, and the, the, the child said to him, you know, when will this coronavirus end? Because I'm sick and tired of being in my room. And he said it really upset him to think that a four-year-old would be, would have that on his mind and would feel that way and would be thinking that way. So, you know, it's, it's, it's passed down to the children as well, which yeah. is obviously very upset for everyone in that centre. It's very tough. Now, I think you've been down as well. Now, they've been setting it up for a while, but they're good to mm -hmm. go with the vaccination centre at Parky Cueve. Big operation? 
Yes, um, there's 30 booths in this centre at Parky Cueve. Now, it's very well set up. Um, there's been a lot of work uh, involved in setting it up, a lot of uh, personnel involved. Um, and for people who are getting their vaccinations there over the next two days, um, they will access it through Monaghan Road. They'll come in, they'll park their car. They're, they're met at reception. Um, they fill out a form, they register, and they're brought up then to level two. They're brought into one of these booths and they that's the line gone, unfortunately, from Fiona. That's okay. Uh, they set up the, they go into the rooms. I think she did some, some stuff for, for news uh, about that earlier on this morning. But the uh, centre now is up and running at Parky Cueve for the next couple of days at least. I assume it won't just stop again. City Hall still sitting empty uh, with no one being vaccinated in there. And the one out at the M. TU, or used to be CIT, that is operating fairly fairly much every day. Uh, still not a guard in the city vaccinated. Just 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 saying. Just saying. 1850-715-996. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. See you this afternoon for the biggest tunes while you work, while you're out and about in the car. And if you just need something to keep you moving, I'm here. We'll go back in time as well on Throwback Thursday. See you for midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, you'll remember last week, the start of last week, I spoke to Mary Hickey. Uh, in Farmer's Cross and Mary's little boy Andy is 12 and he has a dual diagnosis Uh, he has autism and he also has an intellectual disability and Andy effectively has no school to go to come September and Mary is at her wit's end trying to find him a school to go to and the best that anyone is able to offer her is home tuition which she explained is of no use to Andy it's grand in it, what it is, but in terms of how Andy benefits from every day at school, it's no comparison whatsoever. We were chatting about the the fact that this is not new; this is going on for years. And in that other, in, there's another group of people. There was an, in a couple of articles in the Echo and articles in the Examiner about this, and I, and I mentioned other families that were in the same boat as it were and one of those families is the Hennebrys where Ashling has a little girl called Kayla in pretty much the same position Hi Ashling. Hi, good morning PJ How are you? Um, I've had better days <laughs> I'll bet Tell me a little bit about Kayla So Kayla is 11 years old um, she has a dual diagnosis of autism and a moderate learning disability. Mm. So she was diagnosed when she was about two and a half years old. Um, she went to a unit for two years and then she progressed on to Cara where she's been for the last five years. So, so same, school as, same school as Andy, yeah. Yeah, they're actually in the same class. Oh God, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So and the routine of coming and going is such an important part of her day. Oh, definitely. Like, her whole life is built around routine, structure. Like, to take that away from Kayla, it's just like, it will totally upset her whole everyday life, like. Yeah. She's been in school now for how long? 
she's been in Cara now the last, so she's done two years in a unit and she's done five years in Cara. So okay. Kayla has had seven years of education. Now, right. uh, Kayla's only 11 years of age, so she'll be just 12, three or four days before the new school year starts. So for any other child her age, they'd actually have another year in school. Right. So right. she's actually technically only in fifth class. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, in Cara, they have to be out of the school by the age of 12. But as I said, like, she's only 12 a few days when she has to leave. Yeah. Uh, that's hard enough if she didn't have the needs that she does. Exactly, you, yeah. you, you have nowhere for her at this point in time. And this is what? This is the 25th of March. You have no idea where she'll go. No, I'm left in total limbo, PJ. Like, I literally have nothing. We we were told to apply to Skulltrace, which I did. She's down there a number of years. I didn't think there'd be an issue, but unfortunately, they overcapacitated. So there was 14 kids leaving her current school, and there was only places for seven. Yeah. Um, there was only places for 10, sorry, excuse me. Um, seven of them kids in Cara didn't get a place. Yeah. So I'm not the only one in this situation either. There's like seven from our school without a placement. We it's too like we can't apply anywhere else, CJ, because waiting lists are closed. So we have nowhere to go. We have like there's no other school that we could say maybe send here, maybe send there. Yeah. We don't have an option, and the only option I'm pre- been presented with is home tuition, twenty hours of home tuition. Yeah, and, and that's not me, that's not the same thing at all. No matter how good the tutor is, like. But DJ, even trying to find a tutor, like I struggle to find someone for July Division, which is four weeks. So for me to find a tutor for the foreseeable future, like... That's, that's something people wouldn't get either, Ashling, when they're listening to us. And I suppose it's important to point these things out because sometimes people don't know. Like the, the department might say to you, she can have home tuition, but you have to find the tutor. Yeah, exactly. I need to find my own tutor, bring him into my own home. So I have to provide the structured environment in my home, own home. Now, it's very hard to provide that environment. I don't have a school set up at home, as you can imagine. I don't have a spare room to set up a classroom. I have two other kids, a two-year-old and a newborn baby. Like, there's no other child of Kayla's age is expected to go to school with her, both her siblings of the same age in her classroom. But moreover, Ashling, so what do you know about selecting a tutor or anyone in your position? Exactly. And a lot of these tutors are coming from mainstream backgrounds. They haven't had experience in autism or kids with intellectual disabilities. They've taught in mainstream classrooms. So it's hard. It's hard to find someone experienced in that area. Yeah. And it must be very frustrating too that it's the it's the it's the CNO, the, the special educational needs officer and, and the and the Special Education Council that are offering this, they know yeah. the difference, and yet they continue. This continues to be the only thing they offer you. Yeah, it is, and that's been our only option. Like I've emails now from the CNO. I technically feel like I'm actually doing the job of the CNO. I'm the person chasing up, doing all the calls, all the emails, and all I'm being offered with is twenty hours home tuition. Yeah. Like it's not acceptable. Yeah. They have only 11-year-olds, well, she'll be 12 by September. But it's not acceptable to have a child only get 20 hours home tuition. Yeah. Like, she's losing out on so much if I accept home tuition. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, the classroom the classroom week isn't a whole lot longer than 20 hours, but at the same time, it's the other things that she's losing out on. Exactly. Like, she'll, like she'll lose her opportunity to learn. She'll regress. She'll lose all the life skills that she's learned, or all her skills that she's learned in school. She'll get no social interaction. Like, Kayla has no friends. Her only friends are her friends she gets to meet in school. Yeah. Like, even the structure of routine alone, I can't give a structural routine, like, in the home environment. You just can't do it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be faced with challenging behaviours. Like, I faced all this during lockdown already. And believe me, PJ, it was hard. And that was. was just the lockdown. She didn't understand why she couldn't go to school. Like, me saying to her, oh, it's coronavirus. We can't go to school. Like, that went in one ear and out the other. She just, she just didn't understand what that was like, you know? Yes. So then how will I explain to her come September, you have nowhere to go? Yes. How, how She just won't get the concept of it. She won't understand. Yes. No, no, I can, I, I can know exactly where you are because because we were in that position one time um, and it was only through literally banging on the doors that 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 it happened, but banging on the doors, you end up with sore knuckles and a, and, a, and a headache. But you also lose sleep. You're losing sleep at this stage. I am. I am. PJ, I haven't slept in days. Like I should be sleeping. As I said, I have a newborn baby, nine weeks old. I should be sleeping when the baby's actually asleep. I'm up every night wondering: Have I emailed everyone? Have I got onto the right person? Did I send this person email? Was I onto this counselor? Was I onto this person? And it's stressful. Like, me and my husband haven't even spent time together the last two weeks because he's coming home from work, he's watching the kids so that I can actually go up and email someone, do a Zoom call, attend another meeting, get on to other parents, see who they contacted. Like, it is time-consuming, and this is time that I should be spending with my kids, my newborn child, my toddler, Kayla. Do you know, it's now... I don't think the department realises how much of a fight that we're really putting off to try and get a placement. And you start, you start, you start bitching at each other as well, don't you? For reason, and you start saying, "Why am I fighting here?" Because this is, no, but it's I it's awful. Losing battle, I really do. I see. I don't know. It's going around in circles. Like the seniors are saying, the NCSC are on trade, the NCSC, the Board of Education. Like, I feel like I'm going around in circles, and I'm not getting on to the right people that can sort the situation for me. Our Taoiseach, Michal Martin, is the man who, when he was Minister for Education, set up a lot of the special needs system that we have now in in primary level um, and gets credit for it, and rightly so. But if the government today is listening, what would you be saying to them, Ashley? That Kayla has a constitutional right to her education. No mother should have to go through this. No mother should have to fight for their child's education. It's a right she deserves and a right she should get. And there's somebody up there that can sign off on this, whether it be the, the Department of Education, Josephia Madigan, Norma Foley, or Michael McGrath, the man with the money. Somebody needs to sign off on this now. It's not fair. It's March now. Like, the school year is starting in September. We don't have time to wait around. I need to know now where Kayla will be going in September. It's too late to be waiting around. They've wasted too much time already, back and forth. Now is the time to sort it, because time is of essence at the moment. Ashley, all I can do is wish you well. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As one parent who used to be in that situation to another... And it's an absolute disgrace because it's more than 10 years. It's 10 or 13 or 14 years since I was in the position you're in now. And nothing has changed. Nothing. But it just goes to show, PJ, like the NCSE and the Department of Education, like they knew the year Kayla went into CARA. Yes. That six years later, there was going to be the, all these kids leaving. Yet here we are in this situation with no placement for seven of those kids. Like, they were well aware that this was coming up. So they can't say nothing can be done about it because it should have been done all along. They shouldn't be just pulling together the last minute and trying to start this now. No. It should have been put in place well before now. If Kayla was an 11-year-old who didn't have these needs, she could literally pick her school. She could, exactly. She'd have a choice. And that's what people are saying to me. Oh, could you not send her somewhere else? Could you not send her somewhere else? My answer is no. I have nowhere to send her. I don't have options. This was my only option. And they were oversubscribed. And we've asked, could they expand down in the school? We've asked, could port cabins be They're they're full port. And I'm so sorry for them because... Skulltriest and, and Geraldine Bond is a force of nature. and But they just she literally does. cannot take another child. And she is. I spoke with Geraldine myself and she was a lovely woman, offered me great advice and everything. But like as you said, she's pushed across the ring. They don't have. But like this is where the government now needs to pull up their socks and find somewhere. Like they're speaking about all assessing all these buildings and everything, but nothing's coming back in writing. Yeah. There's nothing coming back saying set in stone, this is where it'll be, this is where we can put them. Do you know? And that's what we as parents want to know now. Where where are they going? Like in reality, a building isn't going to be built from now to September. Yeah. So we need to find a building, a derelict building that needs to be sorted come September and we don't have that time to waste. It needs to be started like now yeah. because it is March. The schools are finishing up in June. So yeah. like yeah. something really needs to be done. 
Yeah, and the stress is only building for you and for your husband and your other kids and, of course, most importantly, for Kayla. Ashling, I wish you well. They told me they told me you're a ner- you were nervous. Um, I'm <laughs> telling you this now as one parent to another. Drive on. You'll get there. Um, thanks, DJ. I appreciate you taking the call and highlighting this issue. Cheers, Ashling. Cheers. 1850-715-996. Now, we got, a, we got in touch last week after Mary... We spoke to Mary Hickey. We contacted the National Council for Special Education. And here's what they told us. They said the NCSC assesses the suitability and availability of educational provision against set criteria to ensure the best service possible within the resources available. Currently, the NCSE is aware of the need for additional special education placements in Cork and is engaging with schools, patron bodies, parents and the Department of Education to establish additional special educational placements as soon as possible. The NCS is currently exploring, along with relevant stakeholders, both short and long-term options to provide additional capacity in the system in Cork. Now, that's, I don't know whether, that Terry, that's your first sight of a statement like this from the NCSE, and it's probably not Fergal's first sight of a statement like this from the NCSE. I was seeing this stuff. I was seeing this stuff 12 years ago, and I'm sorry, no disrespect to anybody in the system, no disrespect to any Sino, no disrespect to anybody, but that statement is only worthy of that. This has been going on since my children were going to primary school, and they're now adults, and it's still going on, and it's, yes, if I sound overly passionate, I am. It's just not bloody good enough. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Originally from Cork and the co-founder of Micro Disney and Fatima Mansions, Kyle Coughlin is widely considered to be one of Ireland's most revered songwriters. Cork fans of Kyle's will be happy to hear the news of a new solo album, his first in 10 years, that's getting released tomorrow. Access all areas. Celebrating the life and music of Freddie Mercury, Queen's two-hour tribute show features a veritable anthology of Queen's greatest hits from Radio Gaga to Somebody to Love. You can check it out when it comes to Cypress Avenue this November on the 20th. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Quick reminder to you tomorrow is Daffodil Day, Friday, March 26th. And it's Daffodil Day in partnership with Boots, a very special day for the Irish Cancer Society. And unfortunately, for the last two years, they've not been able to market or celebrate it properly because they can't sell, obviously they can't sell their little daffodils on the streets. But they still need your help and you still can help them. You can donate to Daffodil Day on cancer.ie. All of the various instructions are there, how you can do it. And they will continue then, with your help, to provide crucial services to adults and children with cancer and to their families. That's Daffodil Day is tomorrow. And we'll be talking tomorrow, or I chatted during the week, with Neil, who recovered from testicular cancer. And his 
both journey with that and his experience with the Irish Cancer Society and the importance of Daffodil Day. You'll hear that on the opinion line tomorrow. 1850-715-996. Parenting's tough at the best of times. Just listening to Ashling there chatting about, you know, trying to find a place for her daughter Kayla and, of course, Mary Hickey last week with Andy and they're in the same class and there's just no prospect at this stage of anything other than home tuition, which is something that just will not work for these children. It just won't work for the kids. And there she is at night losing sleep. And there she is unable to give the best of herself to her newborn, to her toddler, and herself and her husband. It happens, trust me, at one another's throats over trying to do the best for their kids. And that's happening every year. Throw a pandemic in on top of that. And throw the realities of the pandemic into any house you want in Ireland. And it turns the job of parenting into an even tougher job. It's probably the hardest job you'll ever do in your life. It's a rewarding one, but it's a tough one. Um, and sometimes you have to call on a bit of expertise to try to to get you through it. John Sharry is a parenting expert, Parents Plus. Uh, John, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It's a very, very tough job, a very, very rewarding one when it goes well. But it's been made even tougher by the various elements of the so-called new reality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As you say, like people often race parenting is the hardest job you'll ever do. Uh, and also, as you say, the most rewarding and deeply satisfying at times. And the pandemic has just added in a load of extra pressures on parents, so sort of making it uh, even more stressful. Yeah, put yourself into the position there where someone like, like Ashley, who I was talking to, trying desperately to find uh, a school place for her daughter, add a pandemic into the complications of that and, and just causes endless, endless stress. So what can you do about things like that, both the ordinary stresses and the special stresses that come with, with situations like that? Well, the, the first thing you can do is, is um, it, you're right, the stress is very corrosive on relationships. As you say, it puts... Uh, couples at each other's throats it uh, makes parents annoy the children children then have, have meltdowns because they're stressed um, full tantrums and teenagers are on edge uh, so stress is quite corrosive in, in relationships we, we unfortunately have this tendency when we're stressed we often take it out on our nearest and dearest uh, and that can be damaging to the relationships and, and so forth so the first thing primary thing you can do is to first recognize the stresses is to say this is a difficult, really difficult situation. Uh, uh, and and not like just grind it out, but just to acknowledge what's going on and what's hard and give yourself a little space uh, to acknowledge that to yourself and to reach out and talk to others that, 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 that this is hard mm. and this is stressful. There's a lot in that, uh, that, that that's transformational just to acknowledge, take some time to know what you're, uh, to recognize what you're going through. Yeah. Talk to one another when the kids aren't around, and just acknowledge that it's hard. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're talking about in the in the um, couple relationship with your partner, it's quite the stress can make you fight each other, uh, and which is going to make things a lot worse. So, so the, probably the first thing to do is just acknowledge this is this is hard. I know this is really difficult for both of us. Or if one, if one is very upset, to, to try to empathise and listen, mm. and try to be realise you're in it together. So to speak, yeah, we're getting and used fighting, to that one. Uh, and, and fighting um, one another is not going to make it better. Yeah. So, to try and think, let's 
let's look at how we can make this better for both of us. Let's look at how we can manage this better uh, after you listen uh, to, the, to what's going on. Do you know when little nine-year-old Mary, who misses her granny and misses her friends and has already missed a couple of birthday parties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when she looks up with those beautiful big brown eyes and says, Daddy, when will this be over? What can you do, John? Well, you see, you, 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 you can't say, uh, the, the natural thing you want to do as a parent is say, oh, well, it'll be over tomorrow, uh, to reassure, or I'll fix it for you. That's our, our reflex is when a child brings us a difficulty, we want to fix it as parents. A lot of times we can do that, and we want to reassure them that it's all fine. In this instance, we can't do that because we can't fix it uh, quickly and we can't say everything's fine because it isn't. So uh, so when your child says that to you, uh, I think the important thing is because you can feel really bad and heartbroken that you can't fix it for them, it's just take a pause and listen and say, yeah, you're right, it is hard. We, we're not sure when these things are going to, it's going to be different. Mm. It is very difficult missing granny and it is difficult when you miss your friends. Tell me how you're feeling about that. And, mm. and and encourage your child to talk about it and you listen carefully and acknowledge, yeah, I find it hard too. Sometimes you can acknowledge that. And then you can say, let's think what we can do about it. Let's yeah. think what we can do to make it a bit better. Uh, you have to listen first before you can do that. And then in exploring what you can do better, there's lots of things you can think, well, how can we talk to granny uh, and keep contact with her? Uh, how can we keep contact with your friend? How can we make you feel better at home? What can we do to make things better together? So you can then start looking at, at things that can, in the in the difficult challenge, can make things a bit better for everyone. How important is it, John, to not make promises that you cannot keep? Well, well very important. Uh, like in all, um, in all relationships, uh, that you want to build them on trust, uh, all close family relationships, uh, and the big, big base of trust is when you make a promise, you keep it. Uh, that's the whole base of trust. So, so you can't make promises that you can't keep. So you can say, well, we're on, the children were uncertain. I'm not sure yeah. this is, you're going back to school or I'm not sure. Because, you know, they look to mum and dad, John. They they looked at that at that lovable age. Now, I'm talking about teenagers think you know nothing. But at that age, the eight and nine-year-old, they think mum and dad always had the answers. Yeah, yeah they, they, uh, they, they look to you for answers. And, the, and you're absolutely right to be you're glad that they're looking to you for answers. But then you're giving them an answer that's not certain, that's, yeah. uh, that's about living with uncertainty. And that's the truth of life. We're always living to a degree with uncertainty. And, yeah. uh, but what you can say to them for sure is that um, you'll do your, we're in this together, you'll look after them, you'll always be there for them, you'll always listen to them. That's, you can make them certain statements, uh, which are tremendously helpful to children, that you'll always look to make things better for them and we, and that you'll be there. Are there nice things you can plan today with them and you can commit to doing that? There's things you can do whether in the home that can make things better for them in terms of, uh, like a lot of the struggles people are having can be made better by simple things, like by you can bring a lot of fun and creativity into home life. You can um, you can make the connection, use of the connections you have and go out for nice walks. You can bring fun into the walk. You can sort of play games. You can make like um, one family I was working with. They made a plan to, for uh, to do something different every day, something new yeah. each day, uh, a fun thing. And the children, the children brainstorm with the parents all the different things they can do. Whether it's uh, when they're going for their walk, 
They yeah. take a hurley stick one day. They take a, a, um, a rugby ball the next yeah. day. They go a different route or they count things. Yeah. Uh, and, and bring something new every day. That's a, a very Bit of smile every day. Finally, John, has spoken to a lot of parents over the last 12 months who I get a sense of beating themselves up because they want to do better. Uh, and they're, they find it hard to accept that they can't. Any advice on that on that score? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think people have to relax their expectations a little bit in this. Like, like the tragedy I see, like particularly say around the homeschooling um, situation. Often parents are saying they they're expecting their kids to go through the entire curricula and they're sitting down for these torturous homeschooling sessions with their children uh, around homework. And really, that was just utterly counterproductive, stressful, and and damaging. And probably the my advice at that point was just to relax, focus on a couple of uh, uh, nice learning times, and primarily having fun uh, play times with your children. That's your primary goal. So it's about expect your when your expectations are too high. I see this with parents of teenagers now who haven't gone back. They're expecting them to be sitting all day in front of the screen, uh, which is completely unrealistic, uh, demoralising, uh, and not. Uh, not beneficial to their child, to teens' mental health. Uh, so, so you really should just reduce expectations, tune into where your child's at, focus on one or two learning periods, and then look at look at other things they can be doing that are maintaining their mental health, keeping their creativity going, and having a bit of fun with you and also with the outside uh, outside world okay. as well in terms of their connections. Do your best and take it day by day, I guess, is the advice. John, thank you very much. John Sharry. Uh, from Parents Plus. You'll find him online. He's been doing this a long, long time. Thanks, John. 1850-715-996. Don't beat yourself up. Enough people will do that for you. Don't let them, don't take yourself down of an evening. Other people will do that for you. On regards Ashling and Kayla, Catherine, see, here we go. Catherine says, I'm in the same situation for September 2022 and it's so stressful. Well said, Ashling, says Sarah. You're wonderful parents and have a beautiful family. My heart breaks that you need to battle this hard for a simple thing like a school place. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, hi, PJ, I'm Andy's aunt. I feel so sad that in 2021, parents are being told, keep their children at home. Are we going back to the dark old days where they were out of sight and out of mind? No parent should be facing this. Please tell them all to keep going. Well, Andy's aunt, as long as... I have a breath in my body and a platform to do it. They'll always have a place for their voices. Just at this point, because I'll forget it if I don't, can I wish the very best of luck uh, to my good friend, Mr. Gareth O'Callaghan. His book is out today, What Matters Now. It's effectively a life story from his very beginnings as a young lad dying to get into the radio game to where he is now, battling a life-changing and life-threatening illness and he's written it over the last uh, 12 months or so it's out on audiobook today as well on audible but it's in all your various bookstores online of course called what matters now a memoir about hope and finding a way through the dark and i'll be speaking with gareth about that book and about himself and how he's doing now because a lot of people often ask me how gareth is uh, we'll talk about it on the program next week 185715996 Kate says these children are often diagnosed very young and we know the needs will be there up the way but you often come to this situation where a kid suddenly loses the support. I've seen it myself as I worked 
in this area. Yeah, there's this kind of view somewhere up the line, Kate, that it actually goes away, that you wake up some morning and it's all gone, but it doesn't. There's a tsunami of problems coming down the line with regard to mortgages, uh, caused and exacerbated by, or exacerbated by, the pandemic. One of them being that you now can't get life insurance when you're looking for a mortgage, which you have to have, or it's loaded against you if you've had COVID, any number of problems. David Hall is with the Irish Mortgage Holders Organization, and you bring these uh, these problems, David, uh, into the into the into the, the light on your social media. It's it's tough old time for people, isn't it? Good morning. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a difficult time for everyone in different categories. There's those who you mentioned before about like those who were in in arrears prior to the pandemic. You have those who are now in arrears as a result of the you know four hundred thirty five thousand people currently being out of work. Some will return to work, thankfully, and some won't, and some will return to a different landscape in work, which will have a different income stream for them. And then you have those looking to get a mortgage and their employers uh, possibly using the state's employment support scheme, unbeknownst to them, and therefore banks not releasing mortgages for them. And now, just to add insult to injury, then you have um, a bizarre situation with an insurance company looking at different people's effect and risk involved in getting COVID, and indeed the greater risk with frontline staff, obviously, who are in touch with COVID more regularly, known COVID patients um, and people with long-term illnesses uh, and being frontline staff combined, not getting health insurance or not getting insurance for the mortgage protection. So a whole raft of problems around mortgages, around debt, around banks, uh, all relevant to uh, everybody. And it nearly affects everybody, bar those fortunate enough to be in employment and meeting their mortgage payments. So it's not, it's, an undif- it's a very difficult um, landscape and if you couple that with the fact that the banks and the vulture funds have informed the central bank that pre-pandemic of the 26,000 people in long-term arrears or households in long-term arrears, this is not David Hall now, this is the banks and yeah. the vulture funds have said 16,000 of those households will lose their home. Oh, God. Um, and that's pre-the pandemic. So it's a very difficult set of circumstances. It requires a fairly focused approach from uh, government, a fairly focused approach in changing the insolvency legislation and a fairly focused approach in relation to the banks and the regulation around banks and, and vulture funds, which, you know, today there's been a lot of lies and spins and untruths in relation to what protections are in place for customers. And unfortunately in Ireland, no Irish lender, bank or vulture fund is required by law or by regulation to provide a solution to anybody. It's a voluntary. And the High Court and the Supreme Court have ruled that it's voluntary. So until that voluntary nature of helping people gets changed, uh, we're going to be in for a difficult number of months and years ahead. The only thing I would say to you is that there's help available. We're there through the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. Uh, we're, all our services are for free and we're on 1800 988 977. There's a whole host of personal insolvency practitioners around the country and there's a whole host of MABs offices around the country. Yeah. So there's three good, strong arms or legs, whatever you want to call them, there to help and support people. Yeah. And they're all services for free. So there is help available. And, and obviously, some people just won't know what's going to happen uh, yeah. over the next number of months until they return to work. People don't know what they're going to do. They, they, have the, they, they can't pay. They're going into arrears. They're frightened. And, and they think that there's no voice there for them. And, and like you say, the banks will put them to the side of the road without a second thought if they get a, if they get a chance. But it's your organisation that tries to stop the bank doing that. Yeah, we'll engage on, on behalf of the customer uh, with the bank. They don't have to take any phone calls or deal with the lender uh, directly, those calls. And we get an authority from people to direct all of those communications through us. We'll do a financial statement. We'll fulfill 
this financial statement, we fill in all the paperwork that goes with it and help customers do that and send in proposals then. We look then and try, as we have a case conference now, which we have every Friday, mm-hmm. and we look at the applications that come in the week before, uh, where we have a team of insolvency um, practitioners and qualified financial advisors. We all review them, we look at what the best outcomes and suggestions might be, and we put them forward. And then we refer cases to personal insolvency practitioners around the country, including our own, uh, to help and see what is best solution for people. So it, there are solutions there. The insolvency legislation has been uh, strengthened by its processes and put in place and judgments by the court over the last number of years. There is help, there is support. People won't be on their own. Nothing happens quickly. The very yeah. important thing to say is no one's going to lose their house tomorrow. Indeed, the numbers of repossessions are low, uh, which others uh, don't understand. That you know, over ten thousand people have lost their homes. Three and a half thousand, four thousand by court-ordered repossession since the recession. The rest by silent repossessions, where they have voluntarily surrendered their homes. But you know, going forward, the courts are not inclined to give out repossession. Um, uh, orders willy-nilly. It's not yeah. something that's going And really. is it fair to say, David, that, you know, if you reach out, not only is the help there, but if you're seen to be asking for help and seen to be engaging with the help, that the courts will take a very favourable view to you? Well, yeah, Ju- Justice Sanfi has just ruled in a, in a court uh, ruling in an insolvency case last Monday fortnight where he indicated that because the person wasn't making any payments where they're stating now they could afford to pay, even though the amount they could afford to pay was lower than the full payment, he did not allow the personal insolvency arrangement to go through. That actually was a Cork case as well, and uh, he did not allow the case to go through. He said the person was advised not to pay. That was the wrong advice, and therefore he is not allowing the insolvency arrangement to go through. So it's very important that... Everyone can pay something by definition because even if you were left out of your home, you pay social housing rent. One of the biggest mistakes made by the banks at last crash was not setting the bar at the minimum level of entry and engagement of social housing rent. That's the lowest everyone can pay. That should be the entry level to show good faith for everybody. And that's where it should have happened. If anybody wants to get in touch, they can. The Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation. What's that 1-800 again, David? 1-800-988-977. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696, including for your WhatsApp voice notes. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. And of course, Twitter is at OpinionLine96 with Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Pop us a message there for the attention of the Opinion Line. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, Remember, it's all in the podcast. You get your podcast every afternoon. Goes up on Twitter as soon as we've got it ready. And then goes to all of your various platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. And if you subscribe to it on whatever platform you use, you get it updated every day, free of charge, without fail. We're nice like that. Front page... (laughs) Front page of today's Irish Independent. Bleak enough old headline. Building ban and savings to send house prices soaring. And the gist of the article is that because those of us lucky enough to still be in our jobs and those of us lucky enough to, you know, be earning money that we don't actually have anything to spend on during a lockdown are creating huge amounts of money in reserve. Not me now, right? Not me, but you know what I mean, in general. And also because building hasn't been effectively banned for many, many months now, there's no 
building of houses going on, which means that when the market opens up again, and when lockdown ends again, there's going to be more buyers than there are properties to sell. And it's going to cause all sorts of problems. Professor Kieran Quinn is a research professor at the ESRI. Uh, this report based on their economic uh, commentary. And Professor McQuinn joins me now. Professor, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. That's kind of the simple summary, isn't it? There'll be more money in reserve from people who didn't spend it and there won't be enough property for them to buy. And that's what, that's what causes the rot to set in, isn't it? I think that, yeah, that's a pretty good summary of it, to be honest with you. I, I think, you know, if, if we look at what's happened over the last while with the pandemic, as, as you say, uh, it, it's hit people in a variety of different ways. So obviously some people have been very badly hit and there's been huge job losses. You know, when you see unemployment up at 20, 25% as it is at present, it just gives you an idea of the scale of, of the impact. But then there has been a cohort of people, if you like, who haven't been affected. You know, people, I suppose, working in the public sector, people working in the multinational sector, who have all been, you know, relatively unaffected by the pandemic in terms of their income levels. Uh, and the fact that they have been cutting back on consumption because of the restrictions means that there has been a sizable increase in savings in the economy generally over the last uh, period of time. So one of the, the issues, I suppose, we as economists looking at the economy are, are trying to figure out is, well, what's the implications of those savings for the recovery? You, you know, how much of those savings will people spend on goods and services and what goods and services will they spend them on? Yeah. And will they spend them on items like housing? Uh, and so then when you come to the housing situation, I'm afraid, you know, one of the longer tra- lasting implications of the pandemic is the impact it's having on housing supply. Um, you know, whilst, because obviously the building sites in the main are shut down at present and were shut down for a good bit of last year. It means that that's had an imp- a big impact on, on housing supply levels, particularly this year and next year, I think. One of the figures in that report that knocked me back on my heels this morning was, you reckon, in the ESRI, that there's 14 billion euro hasn't been spent yeah, it's a sizable increase in savings, you know, when you think right across the right across the population. Um, you, you know, the, I suppose the other item worth mentioning in this as well is that whilst a large number of people have lost their uh, have lost their jobs, the government has brought in, um, you know, the pandemic payments and the subsidy scheme, and and those have helped. Now they haven't clearly compensated everybody for the entire income loss that people have suffered, but they have gone some way towards doing that. So when you take that into account along with the fact that people have, you know, people's consumption levels have been reduced significantly. So, you know, when you think about it, people aren't going into restaurants, they aren't going, you know, into shops. Now, I know there's online shopping, but the scale of activity that people have engaged in in terms of consumption has been, has been you know, significantly reduced, and that's all led to this large increase in, in the savings levels. Yeah. So could there be a splurge when we eventually can spend again? Well, I think if you look at last year, it was interesting when the economy was opened up again. So, you know, we had the, the lockdown essentially in Q1 and into early Q2 of last year. But when it opened up through the summer of last year, you did see quite a bounce back in activity and a large pickup in consumption, uh, for example. So I think that's what our expectation is that, you know, if the vaccination scheme is successful through the latter half of the present year and you begin to get a semblance of normality toward the end of the year, you will see, I think, quite a pickup in, in economic activity. Um, now, again, it's all predicated on, on a successful rollout of the vaccine. Yeah. And the fact that 
you know, that we don't have some new variant that's 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 impervious to the vac- vaccines, for example. But we would see quite a pickup in activity occurring um, uh, through the latter half of this year. All things going well, like you said, with with, with vaccination program finally starting to happen and, and things, other things like that. We've been hearing since the very start of this in February, March of, of 2020, that the economy will be will be dead when we come out of it, and and that it won't resurrect itself for many many years, and that we're faced into another decade of savage austerity to try to balance our books. Is that what you and your colleagues are seeing, or is it more optimistic? No, I think it's more optimistic than that. You know, I, I don't think the present situation it probably isn't comparable to 10 years ago uh, in the sense that 10 years ago, a lot of the problems that we experienced were self-generated. You know, there were problems that we'd let, you know, the housing market get out of control and a credit bubble emerge, etc. This time around, the Irish economy was on a much more stable path going into the pandemic you know we had large we had significant rates of growth but that was it was stable and balanced growth if you like so the economy was in very good nick going into the crisis and our expectation is coming out of it it should recover quite strongly as long as the public health issue is dealt with um so i think as we move forward the whole question about do we need to you know austerity to balance the books etc the big difference again this time uh, compared to last time is that it, it's much easier for the government to borrow the cost of borrowing is much lower than what it was 10 years ago. And that's been a big uh, help, uh, obviously not just to ourselves, but, uh, you know, governments across Europe. And I think the general feeling is that that low cost of borrowing will continue going forward. Now, that isn't a recipe for us continuing to borrow like mad. It means, you know, we have to get back to more stable public finances once the pandemic passes. But it certainly means that we're, we're much in a much better place now to deal with it than, for instance, when we were back in 2010 or 2011. You know what it is, Kieran, that people remember uh, only too well 2008, 2010, those, those terrible years and what happened and the collapse of everything. And they remember debts, huge debts that we'll all be paying for the rest of our lives. And, and the, the fear expressed now is, well, we were able to get all this money at low rates, and thankfully we're able to borrow money to pay things like the PUP and all that kind of stuff, all vitally important, but that someday the man will want his money back. Well, I suppose the reality is at the moment we're able, you know, if you look at the actual costs of how much it costs us to pay the, the national debt, even though our debt is increasing and has increased quite a bit this year and last year, the actual cost of servicing it is very, very low. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to a mortgage situation, if you like. Even though we have a large mortgage, uh, interest rates are so low, the cost of servicing that mortgage on a month-to-month basis is actually you know, sustainable yeah. at the present point in time. And I think as the economy comes out of this and grows, and we would expect it to grow quite strongly, that means we're in a much better position to kind of sustain that level of debt going forward as long as the interest rates are kept low but you know you have to remember if if interest rates start to increase we won't be the only ones who will be in difficulty right across europe uh, countries will be in significant difficulty Mm. so that's a very strong motivation for the european central bank which has been kind of underpinning all of this with its activities to keep that level of activity going um, over the the next uh, you know number of years really yeah yeah we won't all be We'll, we'll, we'll all be as goosed as each other, which means that uh, well, our financial they, they masters must keep that in mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They can't, um, you know, uh, it, you know, 10 years ago, and there was a lot of criticism of this, and I think it was justified. We were left 
to our own devices in some instances. Uh, you know, we didn't get the support from the European Central Bank that we, we should have, or the, the Greeks didn't, and, you know, the Spanish and Portuguese didn't either. But I think there have been lessons learned uh, in Europe uh, in terms of the failings and the mistakes that were made in 2010 and 2011. And fortunately, I think, you know, those lessons are now, uh, you know, have been learned. And I, I think activity has, their, their attitude has changed significantly yeah. in terms of how they dealt with the present crisis. Coming back to where we started on the price of houses, what I would hate to be right now is is a, in a young couple or whatever looking to buy the first house, having to save up colossal amounts of money for a deposit so that as the prices go up, so too will the amount of savings I have to have. The prospect of young people being able to get onto even the very lowest rung of the ladder are going to just get harder in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that's true to a certain extent, but I think there is one other big difference, for instance, between now and again, going back to, we'll say, 10 years ago, which is the, the, the central bank um, regulations, the macro prudential levels, um, those should have an impact on the market and, and they should maintain, you know, prevent house price inflation from taking off uh, as well and calming the market in that sense. So, again, I know that the, the pressures are going to be significant in terms of the upward pressures on house prices and even on rents as well. But I think, you know, at least we have that kind of um, uh, uh, regulation in place, which will kind of curb inflation and particularly as far as house prices are concerned. But I agree with you, as long as we have very low levels of housing supply, and as I said, I think even our outlook this year may be on the optimistic side at 15,000 units, as long as we have those relatively low levels of supply um, going forward, then it is going to keep putting upward pressure on, on prices and on the cost of housing generally. Okay, leave it there and thank you very much for being with us. Professor Kieran McQueen is a research, research professor with the Economic and Social Research Institute, front page of the Irish Independent today. 40, like we talk about the amount of money that people have been holding on to. And I guess, you know, if you have been able to hang on to your job and if you have been able to hang on to your wage over the last 12 months, well, you know, you've, you've not been spending like you normally would. And you put a few bob aside and you might be looking at your couple of bob. You might have managed to clear an overdraft or you might have managed to just, you know, put a couple of quid in the kitty. That's a lot of kitties and a lot of couple of quids. They reckon that the people who've managed to hold on to their jobs and hold on to their income have saved between them in the first 12 months of this 14.1 billion euro. Like that's... That's telephone number money. That's 14.1 thousand million euro. That's a lot of nights out in the pub that weren't had, shall we say. This is Cork's Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Just coming back to our discussion earlier on on school places for children with special needs and the ongoing scandal of having no school places for them in secondary. Just on the back of that, this is a story that's going to be huge. I promise you it's going to be huge. And I'm only gathering what I can of it just now. But uh, RTE's investigates 
department who, to be fair to them, you can say what you like about RTE, when, when they get their teeth into something, they do good work. The Department of Health has been secretly using information from private doctor consultations to build and maintain dossiers on children with autism involved in legal action against the state. That is a huge story. We have to watch that one develop uh, over the course of the day and I say it'll develop over the weekend as well. I might ask our next guest what he knows about it in just a sec. But we got an email from Jess, who is a regular contributor to the programme. Uh, Jess currently settling into a new job in the big smoke in Dublin, so isn't in a position to take a call with us today. But she sent an email. And Jess keeps her eye on the political world and uh, has an interesting take upon it at all times. But she says, Hi PJ, to opinion at 96m.ie. Ever since the Leo the Leak fiasco hit the papers last year, I've noticed a few changes in government action and policy, and I'm curious to know what you think. Since the story broke about Leo sharing the GP contract negotiation document with his pal, the government have really been on the back foot. With the exception of reintroducing restrictions, Michal and company have been playing to the gallery more than usual. Ever since Garda HQ now confirmed Thornishta is facing a criminal investigation for a possible breach of the Official Secrets Act, the following has happened. Have you been watching? A big Cork investment announced last week. I mean, that 400 and something million. Almost four weeks of continual job announcements across the country, particularly in places with strong Sinn Féin votes in the last election, Places like Cork South Central, remember Donna was the first TD elected in the country, he was. In Kildare, massive job announcement there from Intel and in Dublin. Did you notice, says Jess, that Leo took part in a debate on a United Ireland with Mary Lou MacDonald on Monday? Remember the last time he debated with her, he practically had to be dragged in kicking and screaming. And the Taoiseach cancelled his US trip the only thing I'd say there, Jess, is it was kind of done for him because Joe Biden wasn't having any uh, in-person meetings, but I do take the point. What do you think? Could we be headed for an election? Could the government be on an election footing? Keep up the good work, she says. You and the team are keeping me company in Dublin. Thanks, Jess. 1850 Actually, something that happened during the week that I spotted locally was the nomination, the formal nomination in Cork Northwest of a former Sinn Féin MEP, Leonie Rieda, uh, presidential candidate, of course, she was also. She's been selected now to stand for Sinn Féin in Cork Northwest at the next general election whenever it comes. I'm just thinking these selections only a year and a bit into a new government or less than a year into a new government. Very strange to see these nominations happening. And the Greens would appear to be eating themselves. Eat your Greens. The Greens would appear to be eating themselves at the moment. Uh, there's re-raw Rakugus Rulabula about Hazel Chew uh, wanting to stand for the Independent for the Senate and she's mayor of Dublin. And it's, it, they're, they're just tearing themselves apart are the Greens at the moment. Let us check in with a man who keeps his his finger on the pulse of all things political and has been very, very busy the last few weeks and months. Political correspondent Sean Defoe. Sean, good morning to you. 
morning god when you go through everything there you're just like how much is happening all at the moment there's so much going on politically last year it's been, it's been fascinating it has indeed i mean besides the pandemic and all of its implications with regard to that to start off sean i noticed that they moved the meeting of neffet from today to sunday or to monday rather is that because they they're sick and tired of the whole thing being in the sunday papers yeah, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. Um, the idea, I think, was put forward by uh, Minister Heather Humphreys at the Cabinet on Tuesday. But essentially because, like, this this process we go through every time there's a big decision that Neffet makes his recommendation on a Sunday, inevitably bits of that letter leak out over the weekend. And you usually have five days then between the decision of Cabinet on the Tuesday of people uh, really being anxious, really wondering what's going on. So they've decided now to compress all that into about 24 or 36 hours on Monday instead, where you'll have on Monday morning, Neffet will give their recommendation um, to the government. There'll be a Cabinet subcommittee that night, full Cabinet meeting on the Tuesday morning, and then the announcement of the Taoiseach, which is currently put in for about 6 o'clock on uh, Tuesday evening. So it does reduce out all the leaks. The other bit that actually does make sense is it just gives them a bit more time to look at the data, particularly this week when we've seen the rising number of cases. So mm. is that a sustained trend or is it a little bit of a blip because of uh, Mother's Day or probably too early to see any Paddy's Day figures yet? So they do want to look at that as well. Hearing from the parliamentary party meetings, and I'm interested in that. There was a time when a parliamentary party meeting was like trying to get a, a message out of the Kremlin. But now, yeah. sure, we <laughs> almost get a report on the, on the Thursday morning news of what was in the meetings. But certainly there seems to be a lot of unease at the PPs last night, Sean, with regard to the easing of restrictions. Yeah, they're practically live-streamed uh, these days. And there were a group of the making their views known on various bits of it. So some of that being uh, open up churches and places of worship at time for Easter, a number of TDs pushing for that. The five-kilometre travel rule, which I think is a guarantee to be scrapped unless there's a really strong uh, pushback from Neffet because so many TDs and so many ministers realise, look, there, there's not a huge amount of logic left for this and people are breaching it anyway, so we need to change that. And just a general unhappiness, again, things like the idea of a, a more regional approach, which had been mooted by uh, the government initially. Remember, that was their big plan before we got this new variant of the mm. virus mm. that changed everything and we saw them in uh, Kildare, Leash and Offaly. So there's some TDs that want and move back to that because their county has particularly uh, low rates, be it places like uh, Kilkenny, Kerry and, uh, and others at the moment where they're lower than the national trend. So definitely a lot of unhappiness with the restrictions. But even within the PPs, there are split. There are kind of the hawks and the doves, if you like, some who think, no, we saw what happened in December when we eased a bit too early and the situation now is much worse than it was at the end of November. Mm. You can't be going mad and, and easing things will only uh, lead to bad, um, bad results. And then others who say, we've been in three months of a very, very harsh lockdown. People are not sticking to the rules anyway. We need to give them some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, even if that is only, okay, let's distract everyone with, you can go beyond your 5K and you can do a little bit more outdoors and that might stop people from going into each other's houses, for example, which is a more risky environment. So a lot to be, uh, lot to be considered. Can we read anything into the announcements as Jess brings up in her email? For example, the huge investment announced for Cork last week, the massive announcement from Intel and other such announcements in the last few weeks. It's almost as if they were preparing a list of things to say they brought us when an election is called. Uh, yes, it almost is, and no doubt you will hear about it. No, I don't think an election is imminent. I don't think anybody in Lancaster House or any of the politicians that I speak to think that one is imminent, not only because of COVID and the difficulties of that. There are things that could 
uh, you know, elections often come out of nowhere. They often surprise you. I'm thinking back to the likes of the Francis Fitzgerald controversy a number of years ago, back at the end of 2017, has a lot of the hallmarks of what Leo Varadkar is going through at the moment, yeah. to tarnish it in trouble, uh, as, as Jess mentioned in that letter. So, of course, that is something that were he to be criminally charged, for example, which he, he doesn't believe he will, um, then that is something that could destabilise a government and cause a snap election. But the, the weird construction of this doll in particular means that I think for the next few years we're almost going to be in a perpetual election cycle because you don't really have a government working together as one unit certainly not in the way that Fine Gael had for most of the last decade you have within constituencies Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil uh, TDs, they were those two TDs in one constituency looking at each other and going probably only room for one of us at the next election and the Greens are also thinking we need to get as much done as we can over the next few years because we're going to be in electoral difficulty and of course trying to combat the rise of Sinn Féin so of course those kind of uh, announcements will be looked at um, and will be almost trying to keep people sweet through the next few years while we get through this bit of the pandemic but I don't necessarily think it's it's sign of an imminent election again. What is the feeling on the ground among the Paul cars, Sean with regards to, to Leo and what might or might not happen and I guess it's in the hands of the guards what will happen but like this idea that he's going to should he have stood aside without prejudice at least there's certainly an argument to be made that uh, he should have. There's very mixed opinions uh, among Fine Gael themselves and indeed uh, among their government colleagues and no one quite knows what the right thing is to do because we don't end up in this situation very there often. There are no rules. To, exactly, yeah. There's no real precedent to it where there might be criminal charges brought against uh, a sitting Tornishta. So no one is quite sure how to react to it. There's a very good piece in the Irish Times today where they've gone and spoken to most of the members of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party and that does get across the very mixed views. Some of them think he has absolutely nothing to answer for here at all. There is no uh, suggestion of any sort of criminal intention that he won't be charged. There are others I speak to who think there is a real risk that it, it could happen. And if it mm-hmm. does, he's, he's done and dusted. He's toast. He, he politically, uh, he would have to stab, step aside and there would be no other way about it. But because of that lack of any sort of a precedent or a roadmap, or even realistically, you know, it's all inside a Garda investigation that we're mm-hmm. only hearing of we have yeah. no idea what it's going to lead to and until we find that out really it's hard to say what way it will unfold Is there a leadership heave mounting given no. the recent statements from Simon Harris and that kind of thing no? I, I don't think so no I certainly haven't got any sort of a sense of that no doubt that those people who might consider themselves a successor to Leo Varadkar will have noted it but I think they, they fairly widely accept for this to happen to him or for him to be uh, deposed at the moment would be uh, a bad thing for them politically so if there is charges brought further down the line or if it unfolds that way we might see something at that corner he might be told look you need to step aside here I think he would know of his own political intuition that he, that he would be done at that stage but there isn't um, someone lining up to push him out immediately yeah. uh, anyway there's a question in from a listener and you may, you may or may not know the nature of this Sean the Garland investigation of, of Leo is, is under the Criminal Justice Corruption Defences Act of 2018 uh, others arguing it should be under the Offences Against the State Act is it how hot a topic is it as to the nature of this case um, I, I don't I genuinely don't know enough about the differences between the two to be able to give an okay. informed uh, opinion on it legally um, but in terms of around uh, circles in Leinster House uh, there isn't much talk over which act it is going under, you know what I mean? The, the, the seriousness remains there regardless of whether yeah. it is a charge under one act or another. To, to look at the Greens, um, they seem to be eating themselves, uh, to, to, to coin a phrase. The Hazel Chew controversy and, and all of that, where she wants to stand as an independent for the Shannon. Are, are they in turmoil themselves? 
Very much so. I mean, it's this has been the dominant story on the week that they brought in a revised climate action bill that sets down some very strict targets for the country over the next 10 years, which is meant to be the showpiece bit of legislation from the Greens in this government. It's what a lot of their members voted to go into government to do, accepting that it will likely lead to an electoral wipeout because you've done a deal with Fine Gael and the fall. And yes, in the middle of this, uh, we're getting a row. And it's the divisions that were there before going into government. Hazel too was very much in the camp of thinking it was it was a bad idea to enter coalition. You have seen a lot of the people who have supported her and indeed nominated her were already in that camp, the kind of just transition camp. Yeah. Catherine Martin herself, who's the deputy leader, That's was right. against going We lost a councillor down here, Lorna Bogue left. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, Lorna Bogue was definitely in that camp. Uh, so there is a feeling among um, some of the party leadership that this is more agitation from them against the, the government as a whole. Uh, and then you have the, the other side of the coin where they say, well, look, we, we didn't agree to uh, a voting pact specifically. This leadership said, didn't say to them there was specifically a voting pact and Hazel Chu has every right to go forward as uh, a very, very good candidate. And there's no doubt she would be a good candidate. She's quite an impressive politician and electing a woman um, uh, from a minority background to the Shannon would send a very big message. So this is what they're putting forward. But then the, the flip side of that from, uh, indeed, some of the senators who put a motion of no confidence at the parliamentary party last yeah. night is, look, we're part of the government. You accept certain things when you go into a coalition. The party voted three to one in favour of entering that coalition and when it puts forward two government candidates for two seats you're expected to back that and that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil both stepped aside for the by-election that elected Pippa Hackett last time around with the understanding that the, the votes would be reciprocated further into the future and you know that's politics. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it certainly is, and it's a it's it's a, a complex business at the best of times, and these are not the best of times. So, Sean, just to finish with you, you don't think that there's an election imminent, even though everybody would probably be ready for one if there was. Yeah, I think that's a good way of summing it up. I don't think there's an imminent election. I think anyone who called the election at the moment would be absolutely crucified for it in the first place because we have more important things, frankly, to be dealing with. How would we hold one in the middle of a pandemic is another one. There is actually a bill. There is a bill uh, going through at the moment that that deals with a lot of that and it would involve voting over a number of different days rather than just one day of having a bit more spaced out time at at, uh, polling centres and things like that. So in theory it could be done, but they very much want to keep it in theory. No one wants to to go into election and actually test that. And also, with the exception, really, of Sinn Féin, there is no incentive for any government party to go to an election at the moment. Fianna Fáil are in the absolute doldrums and they're going to get a kicking at the, at the poll if there was an election tomorrow. Fine Gael is facing potential criminal charges against its leader and the Greens, as you say, are absolutely tearing themselves apart. None of them are election ready and they're the ones who would ultimately hold the power when it comes to calling one. Yeah, and, at, and Fianna, or Sinn Féin rather, are, are nominating their, their candidates. Thank you very much, Sean Defoe, political correspondent, for that. Well, look, you know, Jess is on to something. Sean says it's not it's not there, but I wouldn't be ruled it out either. Uh, certainly I was surprised, and I'd be a fairly seasoned observer, if I say so myself, of local politics in Cork, and the nomination of Leonie Rieda to stand for Sinn Féin in Cork North West at the next election. That is a major announcement, and that it comes at this time when there's so much political uncertainty out there. That's not by accident. 1850-715-996. We are going to go back to uh, our Blackpool story uh, to finish out today because we had a huge reaction to it. We started this morning talking with Chris about how this new group now wants a judicial review of the Blackpool flood relief scheme. 
and they're starting with their first Zoom meeting tomorrow night to start mounting a campaign for a judicial review. And in response to that, we got a number of calls from people who just want the Blackpool flooding scheme to go ahead and go ahead quickly. We will return to that before we finish today. 1857-15996. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. See you this afternoon for the biggest tunes while you work, while you're out and about in the car. And if you just need something to keep you moving, I'm here. We'll go back in time as well on Throwback Thursday. See you for midday on Cork's 96FM. Customary to say the occasional good morning to the people on the proc who hate me criticising the government these days. There's so much government love on the People's Republic at the moment. Amazed that we'd be speculating about an election or speculating about having to do with an election. We shouldn't do that. I'm so offended. Maybe in a few months' time when it turns out we might have been right, I wonder will they be saying, oh, how prescient they were. No, they will not. 185715996. We love you boys, we really do. Except for Drucker. Drucker can go to wherever Drucker wants to go. 185715996. Let's go back to Blackpool, where we started our programme this morning, talking to Chris Moody from the new group that want to judicially review the uh, Office of Public Works Blackpool Flood Relief Scheme. They're having a their first meeting on Zoom on Friday. Uh, this plan has been financed and has been uh, given permission and given the green light and the go-ahead and the money is in place for it to happen and the businesses and the homes and the residents in Blackpool are all excited that it's going ahead and now this group has been set up Save Our Bride Otters, Sobo, to see if it can be judicially reviewed because they believe there is a better way. Councillor Ted Tynan, you, you've been across this one almost since the first flood in Blackpool. Um, is there another way, do you think? Good morning. Well, there has to be, um, PJ. That's it's as simple as that. Like, it isn't a question of humans versus nature. In fact, it, it's a question of nature and wildlife being equally treated to humans. Because you study the history of the pandemic at the moment, and it was our attitude to wildlife and to animals and the way they're treated that we now have a pandemic. And according to people like George Monbiot and those scientists who are experts on climate change. It's going to get worse unless we cop ourselves on. But just to give you a little bit of local history then, as you go up, if you stand in Blackpool and travel eastwards, you go up the Glen River Valley. That yeah. runs for about 10 kilometres up to the, up to the very top by out the road there, if you know where the barn restaurant is. Across the road from the barn restaurant yeah. is a bog. Yeah. And... In in that bog is a lake known as Lotamore Lake. It's an underground lake, an aquifer. That lake feeds streams and rivers running from it, and it feeds into the Glen River, which is the main one running from it. That Glen River runs for the eight or nine kilometres down towards Blackpool. Its culvert is there then, and it comes out, and it it links up with the bride. Right. And... If you culvert the Bride River, you're going to kill it. You're going to kill its wildlife. And there's a price to be paid for humans as a result of that. Mm. And another bit of history. For about 10 or 12 years in the 1990s, into the, into the early part of this century, tens of tons of rubble was dumped into the bog up by the Bandoff Road. 
Mm. Now, you speak to people locally, there's no flooding on the Bandoff Road. Yes, there is. Because the sponge that was there inside the ditch, the bog, was filled in with rubble, eliminating it as a sponge to hold water. So, right. therefore... The water is on the surface and it goes out onto the Bandoff Road. So so you're saying, Ted, effectively, that there's something in what the new group are saying and, and that, if necessary, we do need to look at this again because while it looks like a yeah. solution now, it's not. No, it's not. It's there, There's a price to be paid when you when you destroy wildlife and nature. And would you not think that the ecologists will yeah. have looked into that yeah. before they grant the permission? Yeah, well... It depends on who the ecologists are, you see, because um, it's like um, I was listening to a guy there from the ES, ESRI, you know, his point of view would be based on a different type of economic system than my idea of it would sure, be. Sure, And our, our economic system is based on a total disregard for nature and for wildlife, and that has to change by PJ. We owe it to our children and our children's children because yeah. if you listen to the youngsters at the moment who are campaigning on climate change and Greta Thunberg, these people know what's happening. They, are, they, they can see the future yeah. 20, 30 mile years down the road and find uh, uncontrollable. There'll be forest yeah. fires all over the world. Look at the Siberian forests are burning and Look what's happening in the Amazon in Brazil, you know. Yeah. So, so in other words, must, what you're saying, Ted, is that you know, don't don't laugh off or don't don't turn your nose up at talking no. about otters. There, there's a bigger debate yeah. to be had here. There is, yeah. And, and do, you, do you think that, given the geography, and thank you for that, by the way, I'd forgotten about that lake up in Barnavara. I heard about it years ago. That are you rec- saying that Mayfield would 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 pl- would flood if you start covering up the bride? I'm not saying Mayfield will slide, but but that water is going to go somewhere else, you know. It, it has to go somewhere, and yeah. it it could go into another part of Blackpool, you know. Yeah, and yeah. nature has provided us with those rivers and lakes and uh, streams to run water, water from high ground down to low ground, and the bride joining with the Glen River. Uh, ends up inside the river, it comes out there by yeah. the opera house, you know. I, I know that we'll talk again because I need to get something else, Ted, but thank you very much for that. I think the message coming from Councillor Ted Tynan, who in fairness to him has grown up and lived in that area all his life, you be careful what you do here. And there's something in what the Otter Group are saying. Thanks, Ted. We will come back to this. This is going to be a hot topic, I think, for the rest of the year. 1850-715-996. I wanted to go to uh, Donica O'Leary of Sinn Féin. I, I know we have, just to remind us again of what Ashling said earlier on this morning when we were talking about places for, for kids uh, and her own child, Kayla, is also facing a situation where she's got nothing in, in September. Let's remind ourselves again of what Ashling was saying to me on the opinion line early this morning. So, like, in Cara, they have to be out of the school by the age of 12, but as I said, like, she's only 12 a few days when she has to leave. Yeah. Uh, that's hard enough if she didn't have the needs that she does. Exactly, you, yeah. you have nowhere for her at this point in time, and this is what? This is the 25th of March. You have no idea where she'll go. 
No, I'm left in total limbo, PJ. Like, I literally have nothing. The, we we were told to apply to Skullshaft, which I did. She's down there a number of years. I didn't think there'd be an issue, but unfortunately, they overcapacitated. So there was 14 kids leaving her current school, and there was only places for seven. Yeah. Um, there was only places for 10, sorry, excuse me. Um, seven of them kids in Cara didn't get a place. Yeah. So I'm not the only one in this situation either. There's like seven from our school without a placement. We it's too like we can't apply anywhere else, CJ, because waiting lists are closed. So we have nowhere to go. We have like there's no other school that we could say maybe send here, maybe send there. We don't have an option, and the only option I'm pre- being presented with is home tuition, twenty hours of home tuition. Now, Donna Lera Sinn Féin, uh, education spokesman. Donna good morning. This is not a new problem, as I've been saying. Uh, it's going on for years and years and years. What can you offer? Good morning. Well, PJ, it is, isn't, isn't a new problem, but it is certainly one that's escalating. And I think there are, I'm certainly hearing from more parents than I think I've ever heard from and that they don't have a place and that they are... They look. They feel as if their only option is home tuition, which just isn't suitable, and it's extremely demanding on on parents who very often have other children, other demands on them. Um, so you know, it's not an option for a lot of families, really. Um, to be honest, like I mean, I think one of the worst things about this situation when you you look at the situation with the parents coming out of school, Cara the children coming out of that like I mean the department has known about these children for years and they've known that these children were in the system um, and they, they should have known that the demand was going to be there like it's not like that these are it shouldn't come as a surprise to them no exactly like I mean they're meant to be examining the demographic trends and, and developing schools on the yeah. basis of that I don't I don't blame any of the schools involved here because they are trying to do the miracles the loans and fishes and they yeah. just can't be I, I think your colleague Thomas Gould is going to bring this up um, with a question to the Tarnished uh, at, uh, very shortly in fact in, in the Dáil and we'll see how that goes Donica seeing as I have you you may have heard this story breaking from RT Investigates and I know none of us have seen the programme yet but this story that the Department of Health had been using information, secretly using information from private doctors to build and maintain dossiers on children with autism involved in legal actions against the state. That sounds very, very serious and very, very sinister. Having not seen anything other than what the news report has, what's your take on it? Well, I, I think it's disgraceful, to be honest with you, PJ. I just might just one brief further comment on the on the other story, because yep. they're actually connected in a way. Like, I mean, what's needed here in Cork is an emergency intervention to create places this September, but we also need at least one and very probably two additional special schools uh, in the medium run, uh, because there is such a crisis here in mm. Cork. It's, it's everywhere, crisis. particularly in Cork. This issue is coming up on prime time tonight. From what I've read of it, like, it is a disgrace. It is an appalling breach of trust. And, like, I mean, what really galls me is that these are parents who have had to fight for everything. And because that they had the courage to take the state to court, uh, that's what happened here, that they were fighting the state to try and get the rights of their children vindicated, that the state then decided not instead of offering them a helping hand, they decided to go behind their backs to gather information, to put together these dossiers, 
things that were totally unconnected with the cases that were involved, all because they were trying to avoid legal fees and to try and put them on the families. It's an outright disgrace. Uh, there is no excuse for it. Uh, I, what we will be looking at, Pierce Doherty is going to be raising with this with the Tarnished uh, in the next few minutes even, uh, looking for answers on it. We need to know when this started. It needs to stop and I think we also need an independent investigation. If there is no excuse, it's unethical, it's dishonest and I would say it's very questionable legally as well, PJ. Okay, all right. thank you for that initial reaction. We will all be watching that story with great interest to see uh, where it goes. Thank you for that. We learn tonight more about this. Half nine, 25 to 10 on RTE1. Thank you, Donica. God, it's been a busy, busy morning. Thank goodness tomorrow's Friday. I'm, I'm wrecked. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.